Welcome back to another episode of Race Relations Beyond 2020. I am your host, Natalie. As always, a bit of housekeeping. All opinions expressed during the interview are the individual's. This episode is sponsored by the Open Investors Grad School, a great place to do your doctoral studies. Today, I'm joined by PhD candidate at the Open University, Angela Charles. Angela's work, both academic and professional, has been within the criminal justice system. I'm really excited to be having this conversation with you. Thank you for sitting in with me. So what are you working on? So at the moment, I'm doing my PhD part-time, and that's on Black women's experiences in prison, an intersectional lens. So it's exploring race and gender and how they intersect and make Black women's experiences in prison quite unique compared to other individuals. All women from my understanding, face disadvantages within the criminal justice system. We're more likely to be imprisoned than our male counterparts for first-time offences, non-violent offences, and we have higher rates of remand and poorer outcomes on release. So why have you made the decision to focus on black women? Firstly, you mentioned a few reasons right there in your question. So the fact that um, black women are imprisoned at higher rates for first-time offences, Um, this idea of higher remand rates as well and um, having less life chances on release as I call it Um, so it's those kind of statistics that made me want to look into that further and thinking about the intersecting quality inequalities black women have complex backgrounds such as domestic violence um, and being the victims of domestic violence poverty mental health concerns, substance abuse, and it can be said, you know, because black women are at the margins of race, gender and class, it leads to disadvantage and inequality, you know, both in society and within all parts of the criminal justice system. I think another reason, you know, why I wanted to focus on black women was because I feel like we've been largely neglected in academic work. So looking specifically at criminology, there's not been a lot of research on black women. And when we talk about race in prisons in the past, there's been a large focus on um, men. An example being um, work by Ross Burnett, and they did a study on race relations in prison. And out of the 501 prisoners interviewed, only 29 of those were women and an even smaller amount were black women. Um, but despite that fact, when they were presenting their findings, they talked about black prisoners' experiences as a whole, rather than differentiating between you know black women and, and men. You know how can they say that's black women's experiences on, on a whole when they've got such a small number of black women in their sample? Um, so it's just kind of one example that demonstrates how black women's experiences are you know, rendered invisible or combined into the experiences of other groups. Um, You know, when we look at women in prison, there's been a focus in the past on white women in prison. And again, black women are rendered invisible. So despite being part of, you know, two groups that face varying levels of disadvantage, black women are not discussed enough in these academic works and that's why I really wanted to focus on black women and their experiences. You've discussed a little bit about what piqued your interest. Why do it at the OU and in what ways do you feel like your research fits in within the scope of the OU's social justice mission? So what really piqued 
piqued my interest was studying my master's and doing a module on gender and race. And I just found it so interesting and I found myself getting passionate about this area of research. And when it came to doing my master's dissertation, um, I wanted to focus on black women, but there wasn't enough you know, scholarly information out there. So due to that and time constraints and it also being a non-research dissertation, I had to talk about women in prison in general with a little bit of a focus on race. And since then, I've had this passion to do you know, that research project that I'd actually set out to do and really find out about the experiences of black women. Um, and as a black woman myself, it's just you know, really important to me. Um, thinking about you know why do it at the open university so you know the scholarship came about and when I first discussed what I wanted to do I was met with a lot of support from the academic staff and my supervisors now were um, also really supportive and interested in my research so that really helped I never came up against any resistance or you know lack of understanding about why why I would choose this topic, they kind of knew instantly and they were on board with me from there. And it really just fits in with the Open University's you know, social justice um, mission because it's about you know, inclusivity and you know, studying at the OU allows individuals that may not have had that chance to study in a different organisation, it gives them the chance to study something they enjoy and really open up the life chances of that individual through education and um, my research is about you know finding out these experiences of black women and you know trying to highlight some of the ways in which these experiences could be improved so that these individuals do have better life chances and um, outcomes on on their release really so I think it links in in that way. It does link in really well, and I think it's an important piece of research. Why do you think we should be having this conversation now? I want to approach this contextually. So what are the statistics of black women in English prisons? Yeah, so the first thing that I would say is that it's really hard to find um, statistics on um, black and minority ethnic women um, prisoners or individuals within the criminal justice system and then you know breaking that down further to black women alone is even more difficult so um, you know through my research I've looked through um, I've had to look through academic work on black women to try and find out those statistics and that's kind of still the case. So looking at um, Her Majesty's Inspector of Prisons and Probation, uh, the Offender Equalities Report, it tells us that in March 2020, um, prisoners who declared their ethnicity as black, Asian or minority ethnic um, represented 22,425 or 27% of all prisoners. But there's no further breakdown. Um, and I looked further into some this document and other documents and there still isn't that proper breakdown of you know um, breaking it down into women and men and black women and, and other ethnicities so I went back to the data provided by the prison reform trust in their counted out document for those statistics and it tells us that black women make up 8.9 percent of the prison population and 6.7 percent of the criminal justice system and despite the fact that they, you know, we only make up 3% of the actual population in um, Britain. 
So I think that disproportionality that we see in that document highlights why we need to be having these types of conversations academically and also in society. So it's you know, just important, just as important to have these discussions in society so we raise awareness about this disparity as well as being able to address the structural inequalities that a lot of black women face in society that can ultimately lead them to enter in the criminal justice system. So there needs to be that sense of you know, accountability and acknowledgement there. Are there any other statistics around um, disparities between black women and white women? Um, some of the statistics that I uh, came across were Black women are about 25% more likely than white women to be sentenced to custody at uh, Crown Court. And you know, following conviction, they're 25% more likely than white women to be given a custodial sentence. Is there any research into the whys? Yeah, so there's been some potential, um, I guess, reasons. So one of the facts is... Um, ethnic minorities are less trustful of um, you know, being in the magistrate's court. So they actually sometimes feel that because, you know, in magistrate courts, there's not going to be that representation of um, ethnic minorities in, in, the, in, in the form of judges. Um, so they some individuals feel that actually going to Crown Court, even though they can get a higher sentence, uh, they have more of a chance because they've got that jury that might be more representative and it um, might be kind of more fair in that sense. Um, so that's one of the reasons that's been given in terms of, um, you know, sentence to custody at Crown Court. Um, and then, but there's not a lot of information as to, you know, why these women are given a custodial um, sentence more than white women. Um, but some of the, some of the information that's been provided states that, you know, if uh, black women are more likely to be in remand before they actually then have their court date, then, you know, someone that's had to come out of prison to go to court rather than someone that's been at home, um, you know, appearing for their court date, there's that, that difference there. Um, so those are kind of some of the examples that people have provided. And then there's um, so ideas about unconscious bias as well and the idea that even though, you know, a judge might not think that they're being, um, you know, they have these prejudices against ethnic minorities or individuals, um, it's that unconscious bias of what they think they already know, what they associate with um, individuals based on, you know, their gender or their race. So I think that can play a part as well, but there's not been that overriding, you know, information as to, you know, categorically state this is why um, we see these disparities. Just on that, is there any data available on black people working within the criminal justice system? Um, so again, the information on that is quite limited. So sometimes there's no information on ethnicity and in other cases there's some data on ethnicity but then it doesn't break it down to gender. So for example in the counted out document that we talked about it tells us that um, within the HMPPS, so Majesty's Prison and Probation Service, um, staff consists of uh, 32,835 staff um, within the uh, public sector prisons and 9,631 in um, in probation. Um, but then it breaks it down to talk about women and it said that they account for 46.8% of that, 
but then there's no data published on their ethnicity. Um, but they do then go on to say that um, 76.6% of staff declared their ethnicity um, and 7.9% identified as black, Asian or minority ethnic. So it gives us a little bit of a picture. But again, we're not getting that kind of data and the statistics that would be really useful to know. We're 15 years after works such as Angela Devlin, uh, Ruth Chigwanda Bailey, whose work focused on discrimination in prisons. Um, and you've mentioned the counted out document from Prison Reform Trust a few times. Talk me through some of these works and the impact they've had on black female prisoners' lived experience, if any. Has, has anything changed over the course of those 15 years? Yeah, so um, Kigwada Bailey's research, that was in the late 1990s, early 2000s. And, you know, she found that um, in prisons, black women reported staff labelling them as aggressive, loud, troublemakers. Um, black prisoners are less likely to receive you know, prison visits than their white counterparts, um, less likely to be visited by their children. And, you know, these women really showed dissatisfaction with the way that the prison staff um, were treating them, particularly in closed prisons. Um, and there was different reasons provided, you know, so staff wanted to control them, um, you know, staff not being there to actually listen to, to their issues and just, you know, a general feeling of being treated worse or more harshly. Um, so... Similar to that, Devlin's work kind of came up with, you know, similar, um, it, it, it had similar findings. So um, they felt that they were, you know, labelled as loud, aggressive and troublemakers. And that led to reduced opportunities in education and employment whilst they're in prison. Um, and, you know, she provides clear examples of how their ethnicity kind of disadvantaged them in prison. Uh, and then it also highlights the differential treatment between black British women and foreign nationals. So she states that, you know, foreign national black women received some more sympathy from prison staff compared to black British women. So foreign national black women were viewed as kind of poor drug mules whereas black British women were seen as strong fighters, but not in a positive sense. Um, and then moving on to um, kind of another area that I looked at, which was a document called um, Double Disadvantage. And the one quote, there's you know, quite a few, but one quote that really stood out to me was that uh, one prisoner said, I just think in general, outside of prison life, women are treated lesser than men. And I think black Asian people are treated lesser than white people. So if you're a black or Asian woman, you're already at a disadvantage, a double disadvantage. Um, I'd love to say that things are changing, but you know my research has come after all of those studies that I've mentioned. And the disappointing truth is, is that my research has found similarities in, in many areas. And it's not to say that the prison isn't it hasn't made any changes since then and it may have improved in in other areas but i'm still noticing some similarities and you know the overriding um you know opinion that i'm getting from the the women that i spoke to is that you know their experiences are still really difficult um 
based on you know a number of different reasons so um yeah it's not really changed enough um i'm wondering how your work builds on some of these works tell me about your research and what kind of prisons you're working across yeah so my work kind of builds on you know some of the different um works i just talked about because it not only agrees and you know highlights what those scholars have said it's it's highlighting that it's still the case but it also goes into some detail about how black women navigate and negotiate that kind of systemic disadvantage and racism within the prison um and it also looks at resilience as well so the coping strategies that these women adopt in prison as well as how these women still keep their identity as a black woman in prison so that kind of takes it to I feel like a different dimension that hasn't been talked about um, in as much detail as some of the previous works and um, my research spans two prisons so one closed prison and one open prison Um, so that gives a bit of a difference as well you know open prisons are you know completely different to closed prisons so um having one of each really i found that useful um and some of the women also discussed other prisons that that they've been to as well so that provided additional information on you know one or two other prisons that i hadn't managed to get access to for my research i like that you're focusing on identity um i'm particularly fascinated by um the research you mentioned earlier that looked at the experiences of black British women and foreign women um, and how there is a difference in the way that they're they're treated in prison. Um, You explore identity and intersectionality and I know that they're key to your work. What's your understanding of identity? How do you approach it in your work? Why have you made the decision to make this central to your work? Yeah, so really good and kind of complex question that I guess I'm still getting to grips with in terms of identity. Um, I guess the way that I view identity within my work is the ways that the women, um, you know, see themselves as being a woman and being black. So, you know, this identity could kind of come in many forms, really. It could be, you know, the way that they dress. Um, the hair and the hairstyles that they choose, the food they eat, you know, the language that they speak and how closely they feel connected to their heritage, particularly the individuals that are British born, you know, how, um, you know, how close are they to their, to their heritage from, you know, their parents and ancestors and everything like that. So in my work, I kind of approach it by doing an identity tree within the focus groups that I did with the women. Um, and without going into, you know, a lot of detail, I basically got the women to do an identity tree. So at the roots, you had race and gender. And I got them to come up with childhood, you know, examples or experiences that they had and how that really kind of cemented how they um, identified as, you know, being black or a woman. So, you know, what examples um, can they remember that really stuck out to them? And I basically got them to do this all the way up to their imprisonment. So as you go up the tree um, and you get to sort of the branches and the leaves, it it looks at their experiences later on in life. Um, And then there's, at the end, there's a compost heap, which 
I wanted them to put, you know, words or experiences that they wanted to put in the compost heap and kind of say, you know, um, I'm no longer labelled or defined by this anymore and have that as like an empowering moment. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted them to kind of capture those key moments that they felt really defined them and cemented the idea in their head that they were black and a woman and that it was something that was important to them. Or, you know, um, even if they didn't see it as important, you know, it was something, was there a particular event or experience that made them think that, you know, my um, ethnicity or my gender is going to be something that's going to affect them in their lives? So I was trying to tease out those different experiences they may have had. I really like the compost idea. Um, and I can see how that can be such an empowering moment. Yeah. You look at these women's lives leading up to imprisonment. Why are you interested in who they are before imprisonment? Yeah, so I'm interested in um, you know, who they are before imprisonment because I believe that their experiences before prison, you know, shape who they are as people, but also shapes their experience in prison. So it will shape their interactions with staff, other prisoners their perceptions of the criminal justice system that they take with them into, you know, into prison, the perception of quality and inequality, and it will have an effect on their responses to situations. So how they deal with being in prison, how they interact with staff members, what coping strategies they adopt, you know, do they have to navigate and deal with any previous traumas that may resurface because they are in prison and it, you know, triggers those memories. So things like that, that's why I was interested in who they were before imprisonment because I think it, it does play a role. And do you have an interest in who they are after imprisonment, so in terms of reintegrating back into society? Yeah, absolutely. So although my research doesn't follow their journey, I would love to be able to you know, get back in contact with some of the women and find out about their continued journey, particularly as I did some of my initial interviews and uh, one of the focus groups back in 2018 now. So some of the women you know, would have been released by now. So um, yeah, I would love to know more about you know, how they've reintegrated back into society. Maybe a postdoc? Yeah, that would be great. I mean, if I could, you know, get access to them again and, um, you know, speak to them, you know, maybe some of the women might be on probation or, um, you know, working with charities and maybe I could get in contact with them. But yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned intersectionality a few times and I'm interested in intersectionality in the context of your work. What scholars influence your thinking around it? Yeah, so why use intersectionality in my work? To me, it's really important that black women face discrimination due to being a woman, due to being black, and also due to being more likely to come from a lower socioeconomic background. So if I only talked about race or gender alone, then I wouldn't be, you know, doing the experiences of black women, you know, any justice. So I use intersectionality within my work because I am, you know, looking at race, um, gender and in some cases class. And some of the examples, you know, that the women provide are specific to being a black woman from a lower socioeconomic background. Um, and, you know, I'll just give a quick example. Um, when I talk to some of the women, they 
told me that they were having issues of accessing the hair products that they would normally on um, outside of the prison. And there was a kind of list of um, hair care products that they were allowed to order, but it wasn't you know useful for the type of hair that they had. Not to mention that it was also really expensive. So you know they're spending money on phone calls and um, you know trying to sort out visits and sending money to you know if they've got dependents at home um so they didn't have that money to spend on those hair care products that were expensive so that's an example that's specific to black women from you know lower socioeconomic backgrounds and intersectionality helps to bring those kind of examples together and and highlight why we need to look at more than just one um one issue um so kimberly crenshaw um I really like her work on intersectionality, especially as she used a kind of example of a crossroads. And, you know, if there's an accident at crossroads, it could happen because of one car. So it could be one car that's at fault, or it could be, you know, two or three cars at that intersection, at that crossroads that caused that accident. And that's how she kind of wanted people to see um, you know, intersectionality and the experiences that people face, that it's not just one particular thing. It could be a number of sort of axes working together um, at the same time to cause that experience or that disadvantage for an individual. Um, and I also like the work from uh, Patricia Hill Collins as well. Um, they've So they've in- influenced my work on um, intersectionality so far, I'd say. Yeah, I am a big fan of um, Kimberly Crenshaw's work as well. And I am interested in that example that you gave of the hair. During this um, pandemic period, these um, COVID restrictions, I know we had um, at one point, there was a limited time um, that hairdressers, it was either a limited time or it was suggested that we only do, that hairdressers only do um, quick um, quick cuts or just spend minimal amounts of time, have people spend minimal amounts of time in um, in their chairs. And it was fascinating as a black woman because I was like, that's near impossible. It takes so long to do our hair. So ergo, exactly. we have not been considered in this, in this policy. Um, and then of course came the resistance, which is also uh, a theme in your work. Talk me through some of the stories of resistance you've come across in your research. Yeah, so resistance, which I've kind of merged into this idea of like negotiating and navigating the prison experience. Um, so I think, you know, um, yeah, I think I initially called it resistance, but then I thought, you know, does resistance potentially paint you know, a negative picture um, when, you know, the black women aren't doing anything negative? It's a form of, you know, survival and, you know, a response to negativity and the adverse circumstances that they're facing um but it's an important theme in my research because i wanted to show um the challenges that black women face in prison you know the disadvantage the racism um the lack of representation with staff the lack of products um the lack of actual you know uh, recognition and activities um to highlight and to be able to celebrate their ethnicity. So I kind of wanted to explain how these women, you know, navigate, resist and and deal with that. 
and um, one common thread was that women talked about having this new sense of kind of patience and the ability to kind of stop themselves from responding or acting out against the treatment that they were facing. Um, So one woman said that, you know, she had to learn patience and to humble herself in the prison um, situation she found herself in. And another woman said there was nothing that she could do instead of just all she could do was shut up and put up with the situation. Um, A lot of the women also talked about having to play the system, know when to pick their battles and know when to rise above it. Um, Also knowing, you know, the prison service documents inside out. So knowing, you know, when they could potentially challenge something and referring to that to that um those policies as a way of of you know getting what they what they needed and um yeah some another woman talked about really having to delve into herself to overcome certain situations such as being called racist by an officer and being told that she had no rights um and then further examples of resistance or navigating the prison experience were some women would choose to go into their rooms early so they're not being told by officers to go into their room so they're taking the active choice I'm going to go into my room 10 minutes earlier than lock up um, and having that choice to do that and then also having relationships with staff that they felt comfortable with so a lot of the women had relationships at kind of face value so it wasn't any deeper than that Um, they would have small talk with the prison officers but it wasn't anything beyond that and that kind of was their way of resisting um so yeah those are some examples so are there formal avenues for addressing this discrimination in the prison systems and what's the culture around them but also i want to clarify have you opted to in your research to call it resistance or have you then just kind of stuck towards calling it or conceptualising it as navigating the, the system? Yeah, so I guess I'm still figuring out what I'm going dis- to kind of describe it as within my research. Um, I think I may kind of move it towards the navigating and negotiating um, and kind of frame it in that way, just because I think, you know, the sometimes resistance can be seen as as something negative um but i'm still kind of unsure about that i'm kind of working through that and thinking you know what's the best way to really frame it and explain um you know what i'm trying to put across um but in terms of the formal avenues so they do have um discrimination forms um so should any woman so regardless if they're black or whatever ethnicity um if they feel that they've been discriminated against um they could fill in that form but a lot of the women that i spoke to they didn't use them as they said it would just go to other staff members that wouldn't do anything um they also felt that it would go back to the staff member that they had talked about and it would just basically make their prison experience you know hell for the rest of um their time there so they chose not to and um, they also said that certain members of staff kind of tried to cause issues for um, for, for black women specifically. Um, and so they kind of avoided that staff member for that reason, rather than putting in a complaint, because they just didn't feel like it was going to get anywhere. And um, 
one of the participants commented that there had been, you know, only three um, discrimination forms in 18 months. And I think a staff, um, a prison officer was talking to them about that and kind of highlighting, you know, that's really positive. But, you know, that didn't actually represent the true extent of how the black women felt about their treatment. They just didn't believe in the system. So instead, you know, women would either internalise their treatment that they received or they'd use other um, other prisoners as kind of a means of comfort. And they also would speak to their family and kind of get their solicitors involved rather than doing it through the prison. Um, one woman even said that she was going to wait until she left the prison and then that's when she'd start, like, you know, the legal proceedings and stuff because they just didn't feel safe to do it whilst they were, were in prison. So that says a lot, really. I have two more questions for you uh, in terms of the prison system. What changes do you think are, are necessary? And what impact do you hope your work has? Yeah, so this is something I'm still looking into and kind of still finalising these thoughts, really. But I would say there needs to be more cultural awareness in prison. Um, so, you know, what we were talking about earlier in terms of <clears throat> the hair um, and the products that these women need, the fact that, um, you know, with open prisons, when some of the black or one of the black women wanted to um, be released on temporary licence, which they can apply for and go and get her hair done. And, you know, when she put, you know, four or five hours, there were, the, you know, the officers didn't understand and they thought that, you know, they would just make, like, being silly. But um, if they had that cultural awareness of this is how long things take, um, then they they would understand that. Um, so I think there needs to be that cultural awareness. Um, there needs to be better understanding of black women's lived experiences prior to prison and also you know, the likelihood that the perceptions of the criminal justice system that these black women will have will be negative. Um, I think there needs to be more charities and, um, you know, non-governmental organisations that come into the prisons and talk to black women and offer that support. So I know Hibiscus does that, but a lot of the black women didn't know, you know, what they actually offered and that they were available for black women. A couple of the women thought it was just for um, foreign national women. Um, so I think that needs to be highlighted more. Um, there needs to be more designated equalities officers. So not just saying that there is a, a designated equalities officer and then they are then deployed somewhere else because there's staff shortages and they can't then deal with those issues because they've now been deployed elsewhere. Um, and then I think black women in prison need to be involved when discussing, um, you know, black lives, um, sorry, black history month and other events, um, accessing hair and skin products and any other issues that they face. It needs to be, um, they need to have that platform, but it also needs to be a safe platform where they can talk freely, you know, in the sense that they won't get into trouble for that. Um, so those are kind of a couple of ideas. And, I mean, I would love for my work to be taken on board um, so that those who are in charge of policies um, and the prison and how it's run can see the experiences of these black women and implement some changes. 
I will have a specific policy recommendations chapter in my research when I write it. So, you know, if just one or two of those points that I've made is taken on board and implemented, and, you know, that means that black women's experiences in prison are, you know, a bit better, then I can keep pushing from there. And um, when I did get granted access to going to the prisons, one of the, um, I guess, stipulations was that I would write an executive summary that the prison service would, um, would see. So, I mean, hopefully when I do that, they can see those, um, that executive summary and maybe look into potentially making some changes, um, maybe wishful thinking. But I guess I just um, want to raise awareness to as many people as possible and, um, you know, discuss these types of issues in different platforms to different groups and members of society. So always happy to discuss my research and what I've found out and some of my ideas on various platforms. Thank you so much um, for sitting with me and having this great chat and discussing your research. Thank you for joining me for another episode. I'm grateful to Angela Charles who made the time to sit and think out loud with me. I invite you to have a look at the reading list if you're interested in any of the works that were mentioned during this episode.